worship team. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Beth Reeves. I'm the children's pastor here at the Bridge Campus and the Meredith Drive Campus as well. You don't normally see me in this capacity preaching and teaching uh, during the worship service. Most Sundays, you can find me preaching and teaching to people who are just shorter than you are uh, with our kiddos. But it is a privilege uh, to be with you this morning and just spend this time digging deep into God's Word. Uh, On Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day to those of you out there. And also, uh, Profession Sunday, what an incredible blessing to see uh, three baptisms, God's covenant children being baptized, and the professions of faith that were made in Christ Jesus. Just a really great Sunday. I'm guessing that there are um, families here today. Perhaps we have guests or grandparents or extended family. Do we have any... uh, Second and third generations present. Any grandparents here with their grandkids? Children and grandkids? Raise your hand if you are a grandparent. Do we happen to have any great-grandparents in the house this morning? Anybody? I see a hand. I see a few hands. Yeah, all right. Very good. That's beautiful. Thank you for being here. Uh, What a privilege uh, to be here with not just our uh, immediate families, our extended families, but also our family in Christ. You know, the older I get, the more I love to learn about my family, uh, the people who came before me, my, my ancestry. Two of my favorite grandparents were my great-grandparents, Henry and Catherine, Grandma Katie, uh, Raymond, my, my paternal great-grandparents. And uh, Grandpa Henry, he actually immigrated over from the Netherlands, and I, I think it was 1902, on a big ship. He was two years old, And there's a great story that my family tells and passes down uh, each generation. When my grandfather was on the big ship, my great-great-grandmother, Rika Raymond, say that one ten times fast, Rika Raymond, would take him up on the top deck of the ship, and she would fashion some sort of rope-like harness on him, and she'd tie it to a pole on the top deck so that he could buzz around and get some fresh air and burn energy like a two-year-old should. Uh, my great-grandma Katie, she was actually, people tell me now that she was like a little bit ornery and strict, but I don't actually remember that. What I remember about Grandma Katie was that she made me cheese whiz buns, and she let me eat Cool Whip right out of the container with a spoon. That's what I remember of her. <laughs> I I loved these great-grandparents of mine. And today, we are actually going to delve into Scripture, dig deep into actually four different passages of Scripture that will help us understand our biblical ancestry, our biblical heritage. So if you will, let's dive into the Scripture now. And we're going to start with Genesis 12, 1, verses 3. Now hang tight with me, because like I said, we're going to go through four different passages. And when we go through these passages, a couple things to note. We're going to hear the name Abram a lot. Just take note that eventually, throughout this span of time as we read this scripture, God is going to change his name to Abraham. So no matter what name I use, Abram or Abraham, same guy. And I want you to listen for three particular things. God is going to make promises to Abraham. In his faithfulness, God is going to promise Abraham land, children, and that he will be a blessing for many generations. So here we go. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. And it reads, The Lord had said to Abram, 
Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And verse 7, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So this is the first time that God appears to Abraham and makes these covenant promises, land, children, blessing. Now it's important to note here, Abraham is already in his elderly years. He's already 75 years old. And God has just made a promise to a barren couple a childless couple to give them children at 75 years old. He made a promise to a landless couple to give them land. And he has made a promise that Abraham will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth at age 75. Now, if we were to take time to read very closely all of these chapters word for word, we're going to see that this this time of... um, This span of time, it's a 24-year time frame. And it's a narrative of Abraham's life. And so as we move through the scripture, we see life lived, and there's continual movement of time and space, and life lived, and there's some good living, and like all of us, there's some bad living. Okay, Abraham was not a perfect person. And we hit chapter 13. And it says, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And we fast forward some, and there's more life lived, and more time has, has uh, spanned the years. And we hit chapter 15. And again, God is making promises. And it reads, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. We're getting some incredibly vast word pictures from God here. Offspring so numerous, they're like dust. Stars in the sky, if you can count them. I wonder at this point, 
in the Abraham narrative, if he could really have, have possibly fathomed what God's intention, what God's purpose for his life would be. And we fast forward yet again, and we hit chapter 17. Now at this point, God is going to reiterate those same promises, land, children, blessing to all who have yet to come. And I have to wonder if Abraham is sitting there going, all right, God, you are literally like a 24-year-old broken record because when we enter into chapter 17, Abram is now 99 years old. And Abram's, I mean, he's not dumb. He knows how having children works, right? We all do. Wink, wink. And he knows that this is going to be a hard, like, how is this going to happen, God? And God again reiterates these promises. And he says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant. Hear that word? Pastor Josh used that word earlier. Covenant. Binding promise. More than a vow. A covenant with you. Between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Just keep waiting, Abraham. God says, just just keep waiting. Just wait on me. And Abraham does. He waits to see how the Lord is going to fulfill these promises. After 24 years, four times over, God made those promises. Land, children, I will make you a father of many nations. You will be a blessing. 24 years. How many of you have ever waited? How many of you have ever been in a season of waiting where you, you sit there and you go, God, this seems like a really long time. I'm getting weary. How many of you sitting here today right in this very moment might still be waiting on God's timing for whatever your hope or desire is. Only you know that. You see, it's really easy to get caught up in the Abraham narrative on how long Abraham waits. It's really easy to get fixated on Abraham's part of the story. But you see, Here's what we need to bring into the focal, the focus. Bring this to the forefront. This story 
is actually about the faithfulness of the one who made the promises in the first place. It's about the one who will bring those promises to fruition in the ways in which he chooses. I've learned over the years that God does not typically show his faithfulness to me in the ways in which I think he might. They oftentimes look very, very different. My picture and God's picture are very different sometimes. You might have those experiences in your own life too. You know, during college, when I was dating my first husband, Justin, we both knew that we deeply, deeply wanted children. And I actually started to collect uh, this box right over here. In my own head, I started to call this box of little treasures my someday box. And In this box, I collected all the things that I thought might be used for my someday children. Before I was even married to Justin, uh, that's how deeply I wanted to be a mom. If if you were to ask me 15 years ago that I would be standing here uh, teaching and preaching to you this morning, I might have laughed at you. Because I really thought that my life calling was probably uh, perhaps to be a stay-at-home mom. And um, that would have been just fine with me if that had been God's plan. And so I collected things like baby blankets and, uh, oh, this little guy, he's so cute. He, you put the first tooth in it, Right? Little dinosaur. And, you know, like, what non-existent future child doesn't need a little monkey snowsuit, right? Uh, We live in Iowa, right? So it seemed seemed reasonable. There's just, there's tons of uh, little treasures in there that I wanted to be able to use for the picture that I wanted. And... It was a privilege to vow my life to my first husband, Justin, when I was 23. And I walked down the aisle that day, and I said my vows in sickness and in health till death do us part. But I could have never imagined that God's faithfulness to me, would be displayed in a completely different way than using my someday box full of treasures. Just a year and a half after we were married, my uh, husband Justin was a seminary student and I was a first-year English teacher. And Justin was diagnosed with a very rare bone marrow failure, kind of like the ugly cousin of leukemia. To give you a better picture, it's ten times more rare than the rarest form of leukemia, and three in every one million people are diagnosed with it each year worldwide. And the doctor came into the hospital room that day, and 
I always say, I wish you could see what I see. My memories play like a movie. My husband was uh, a six foot three, 300 pound linebacker, and he was encompassing this twin size bed in the hospital room. And, and the doctor gave us very real statistics of what the survival rate would be for Justin. And we thought, well, even with these statistics, we serve a God of hope and promise. We serve a God of faithfulness, and we decided that it was now or never to try to conceive that longed-for, deeply desired child. And so he was sick for 11 months, and for the first eight months, we hoped and we prayed in the midst of chemo and radiation and a stem cell transplant and ah, so many things with medical crisis that we would conceive. We even pre-named our family of six. We were going to have four little hooligans running around. And we, did any, help me not feel so silly. Did anybody else pre-name their children before they existed? Am I the only one? Thank you. Thank you for raising your hand. We were going to name, I wanted to name one of my daughters, Catherine, after my great-grandma Katie, the one who let me eat cool up out of the bowl with a spoon, that one. And Adriana after my mom. And we loved the name Josiah and Isaiah for boys. And, and I had this perfect little picture of what I wanted life to be like. To add to this narrative, it was also right at that same time, actually just three days after Justin's stem cell transplant, that I was sitting in the hospital room with him and my body started to display uh, signs of a kidney disease that I live with. And fast forward and... Uh, doctors told me that because of the kidney disease I live with, it would be a very bad idea for me to ever try to have a baby. That I should not try to conceive. And I remember walking into Justin's room uh, after that conversation with that nephrologist and telling him the shock of what I had just learned because we had been trying to conceive the eight months previously. And he looked at me and he said, baby, it's all right. We'll adopt a whole house full of them. And I remember... Grieving so many things in that moment. Not just from Justin's inability to have children, but now my inability to have children. And if you fast forward just two and a half short months later, God displayed his faithfulness to Justin, not through a miraculous healing like we had been praying, But God displayed his faithfulness to my late husband through eternity. When he met Jesus face to face. And in those moments, as the machines went quiet, 
this was not of me, but this could only be through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I started to sing, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigned. Unending love, amazing grace. You know, after Justin passed away, I was left to be a 24-year-old widow with a someday box. What do you do with that? Now, the grief of losing Justin at the age of 24 is, like, that is like a whole sermon series in itself, okay? Uh, Suzanne promised to give me an entire year to go through that in about eight years. Um, But for now, for today, walk with me. I'm privileged that you will walk this story with me. Walk with me and follow me on the grief the desire, the hope to have a family. Realistically, at that point, I didn't even know how or if being a mother was in God's plan for me. I literally could not see God's perspective on how or even if that was ever going to be part of my life. And I spent about six years single after my late husband passed away. And it was at that time I entered into seminary. Uh, I was an English teacher before I noted that, and I actually have my master's degree in education. And you know how they always say, like, oh, your your education degree, it's going to pay for itself as time goes on. Well, I graduated from Morningside College with my master's in education in May of 2011 on a Saturday. And I walked into the principal's office the following Monday, just two days later, and I resigned. So that didn't really pay off like I thought it was going to. But I did go to seminary for four years. And it was during that time, that season, that God evolved my heart to better understand that his faithfulness plays out and he chooses to display it in ways in which we cannot comprehend. God told me to move to a new land, just like he told Abraham to move to a new land, Des Moines, Iowa. And here's the funny thing. When I was looking into going into seminary, I checked out Fuller in California and Denver and Colorado and, and I checked out a lot of different seminaries and I literally said this. If you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plan. Because I said, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but I do not want to move to Des Moines. 
All I knew about Des Moines was that like the state basketball tournament was here, and in the sixth grade, I visited the Capitol, and those things were real boring to me. So I literally said, God, I'll go anywhere, but don't make me move to Des Moines. I don't, I don't want to move to that city. And here I stand. God's got a great sense of humor. It was at that time that I fell in love. Oh, here it comes. See, the, I cry at Hallmark commercials, people. Get ready. I fell in love with my second husband, Corbett, and his two children. And once again, I had the privilege to walk down the aisle and vow my life to this man in sickness and in health till death do us part. And I'm telling you, this man really loved me because I was a seminary student with no job, bum kidneys, and a ton of student loan debt, and he still married me. He still married me. And together, we now raise our two children. They are not children of my womb, but they are children of my heart. We have a 16-year-old named Will who is so very compassionate, so very kind. He's a peacemaker. He's a mediator. He just got, I took him to get his driver's license like three weeks ago, and I caught myself as he was standing there like this, taking the driver's license photo. I was standing over here, and I got my cell phone. I became this mom. I was doing like this, like trying to photo document him taking the picture of getting his driver's license. Yeah, I was that mom. And we were also raising our 17-and-a-half-year-old daughter, whose name is Catherine. We call her Katie Bug. The fact that her name is Catherine is the sweetest little blessing. See, God often displays his faithfulness in ways that we never knew we wanted. Oftentimes, it is in the times of trial. I have met God in times of joy. I have met God in times of fruitfulness. But I have met God in times of grief and sorrow. as he reveals that faithfulness to me time and time again. This is a reminder that God's plan, waiting for God's plan to unfold, is good and right, even if it's the farthest thing from what we picture. Because I'm telling you, Will and Katie cannot fit into that little snowsuit, right? it's good and it's right. So, what? What do the promises of God in these stories of Abraham have to do with us? You see, this is our history. Abraham's story is our story too. We are the children of God with whom he made that covenant vow. 
to be our everlasting God from generation to generation, whether husbands pass away or we ever become mothers. Our identity is being a child of God for generation after generation. And if we fast forward in the Abraham narrative, we learn that in fact, Abraham's wife Sarah does conceive in her old age and she bears him a son named Isaac. And you fast forward even further when Abraham is long dead and gone and God did in fact bring Abraham's line back to the promised land. And you fast forward yet again and we read about how the promised Messiah, remember the verse that said, kings will come from you, Abraham. We read in the scriptures that the most beautiful king of all, the servant king, the humble king born in a manger who grew to be a man who died for our sins, that king came from Abraham's line. Jesus Christ, who came to redeem all those who would believe in him. And all the families of the world would be blessed through you, Abraham. When Abraham could only see 24 years of life passing by him, do you know what God saw? Oh my goodness, God saw 17 students standing on this very stage this morning professing their faith in his son. God saw his covenant coming true when Pastor Josh baptized. and said, you are covenant children. God saw third and fourth generations sitting right next to you. Passing down a legacy of faith in Jesus. You and I are the dust of the earth and the stars in the sky that cannot be counted. of God land children blessing for generation after generation let's pray God you are holy and good and you are faithful God, would you help us bring to the forefront that this life is not actually about us, but it is about you and how you choose to display your faithfulness. How you chose to display your faithfulness to Abraham through the coming of Christ. how you choose to direct our path in the ways that we didn't even know we wanted. 
God, I ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fall fresh on every person in this very room, in your house, your church. And that you would speak to them about their true identity in Christ, about their true heritage, about their true lineage. God, if there is even one single soul here today in waiting, God, I stand with them, and I know you do too. Speak your truth to them, Lord. Speak your faithfulness to them. We love you, Jesus. And together, all God's children said,